right, welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And we've got a live one today. The Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you uh, backstage here at the AB Club in uh, Brussels, Belgium. You've been here. Just did my 100 push-ups, you know. Hey, listen, a friend of mine, super into Star Wars, he wanted to get a face tattoo, like Star Wars face tattoo. You should have seen the Luke on his face. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Yes! The Luke on his face. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks to Duff for calling him in every single week, no matter where he is. He and uh, Shooter Jennings are, uh, they kicked off the Tenetus Tour here in the States. A great show. At, uh, uh, Shooter Jennings is actually opening for Guns N' Roses on select dates as well. Uh, go check out all of the uh, Tenderness Tour shows and the Guns N' Roses shows. You can find all that information on DuffOnline.com. You got to see the Tenderness Tour, though. It's completely different from Guns N' Roses. I know you're going to love it. Duff's a great musician. Shooter Jennings is a great backup band. Uh, and you're also going to love seeing this guy when AEW's new show, Dynamite, debuts, premieres October 2nd next week. Hard to believe. Luchasaurus is here. Lucha's got a great team with uh, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt, and they had a hell of a match against SCU at All Out Chicago, but now you get to meet uh, the dinosaur behind the mask. Discover what the late, great Dusty Rhodes had to do with the Luchasaurus gimmick, why WWE developmental system wasn't for him, and how Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. Johnny Morrison, helped him hone his in-ring skills. Luchasaurus was on the reality show Big Brother as well before he became Luchasaurus. He's got some crazy stories about living in that house with him in the show. So much to talk about. It's the uh, the 50 million year old Luchasaurus on Talk is Jericho now. Here we go. All right. So um, one of the things I love about working with AEW and All Elite, which is the same thing, is that there's a bunch of guys that I've seen before but are just meeting for the first time, hearing about, and one of them is the illustrious Luchasaurus, who, the moment I heard the name, like, it's one of those names where at first, if you take it for face value, it's kind of weird, but it's oh, very yeah. memorable. Way more memorable than any name I can think of any, of anybody <laughs> in, in NXT, for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. How did you get the name Luchasaurus? Uh, well, it started on Lucha Underground, um, mm. where they, you know, I got an opportunity to play this character. I didn't know what the character was going to be till the day I showed up. Mm -hmm. And they told me, so yeah, we're going to actually put you in this giant snake mask and uh, you're just going to go out there and we want you to kind of like choke slam people. Mm. And there wasn't much more direction than that. And I was like, well, can we cut the thing up? So my hair is showing, I, you know, I wanted to make it a little kind of cool for me. And then I get out there and I do the thing and the crowd starts chanting something and I don't know what they're chanting. I thought they were chanting. You just started. I'm like, great. They think I'm green. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, you getting, just started. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, this crowd's brutal. Like, am I that bad? So I went to the back and uh, my good friend, uh, Johnny Mundo, John Morrison was back there. And I was like, how was it, man? Did I think they hated it? He's like, no, dude, they were chanting Luchasaurus. It's ridiculous. I'm like, what? What is that? He's like, I don't know, but I think you should run with it. And that's how it started. Just right there. The fans, I was named Vibora on the show. But Vibora. Yeah, which means snake. Okay. But the fans called me the Luchasaurus. And I was like, you know what? It's so crazy. It might work. That's amazing. Right off the bat, they called you that. Yeah. Because you had a snake mask at Lucha Underground. And I'm giant yeah. compared to everyone else. Well, yeah. And it was just, that was... Whatever for whatever reason, that's what the crowd decided was going to be the smart thing to the funny thing to chant. And um, I was like, okay, well, you know what? There is no Luchasaurus wrestling independently. Um, I need to kind of reinvent myself right now at this stage of my career. 
So let's just see what this can turn into. Did you Google Luchasaurus? Uh, if anyone else was using it? Actually, I did not. Okay, because yeah, you, you said there was nobody else using it. There was, uh, there was some videos of like, I think there was like a Luchasaurus, like there was a dinosaur doing flips in a ring mm. or something in like one of those suits. That's what I thought it was at yeah. first. I thought that guy was like, I don't know if he's from... Uh, what's the, some of those weird companies that you see sometimes, like, and not Crash, whatever, but there's a couple weird right. companies that do that sort of thing. And I yeah. thought, like, you know, like Michinoku Pro or something. I thought that's what the Luchasaurus was. Well, I've seen that guy. And then when I actually see the real Luchasaurus, I'm like, holy shit, that guy's a monster. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. And it, it was, at first, it was challenging to get bookings because I don't think people were taking it seriously. And then in this day and age, there's a big, it's back and forth, but there's a lot of promotions that want kind of serious fighters. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea of it just sounds absurd. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what is this? It's going to be some kind of gimmick. The guy's probably not really a wrestler. Or he's horrible or he's just a clown. It's a joke. So I had to fight against that for a while. And, you know, I was lucky I have good people in my corner that were like, you know, motivating me to continue with it. Because there was times where I wanted to give up on it, where I was like, this is not going to get over on its own. It's, it's, it's too absurd. But, uh, you know, you know, John Morrison was really big on that. Trent Breda, who's in AEW, he always told me to stick with it. He really liked it. Uh, so I did. And it, you know, it slowly but surely was allowing me to kind of explore who I was performing wise. Well, the reason why, because once again, too, it's, it's memorable and yeah. it gives you like, what's your character? Like, I almost said, I was not cutting down mm -hmm. NXT or whatever, but you read the names and yeah. it's like, it's a soap opera. You take, here's the list of first names. Uh, what was your name? It was Judas. Judas Devlin in Ju NXT. Judas yeah. Devlin. So, okay. First name's Judas. Last name's Devlin. There's your name. And, and yeah. there's, you know, this is, so Luchasaurus, A, you remember it, and B, what's the character? Well, it's a big, giant, you know, guy. <laughs> what I mean, like, I mean, at least you have some yeah. direction as to what you can do. Yeah, half dinosaur, half luchador. Is that what it is? Here to remind you that life finds a way. Okay, so you want, <laughs> that's my tactic. Why don't you explain yeah. what a luchasaurus is? Well, the, what the luchasaurus is really essentially is me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of funny that it took me putting on a mask to find myself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an interesting, like, Very existential much. thing that I've gone through. But what it started out was, is just like, okay, I'm going to be myself and express myself in the ring because I couldn't figure it out when I was in NXT. I couldn't figure it out on my own be between the time of that and Lucha Underground. And I didn't have direction. I was trying to find a character so hard. I was trying to force something. And then I just put this mask on and said, you know what? What do I like? Well, I like to do martial arts. I like gymnastics. I like Mortal Kombat. This is a crazy character. It kind of lets me tap into like my childhood where I like Conan the Barbarian. I'm just going to kind of run with things that I like and just be myself in the ring and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, I was able to develop a style and something that's totally unique. So now it's like people need to see the Luchasaurus in person or see it, see me wrestle to kind of go, okay, I get it. Because there's people will see it on paper and go, well, what's that? But when they see it, it seems to, for some reason, I've been able to connect now with people and they say it feels authentic. And mm -hmm. I think it's authentic because I'm out there not trying to be anything but myself. Mm -hmm. And that's been kind of, for me, the thing that's gotten people to finally look at it and go, oh, wow, I really want to book this. Oh, mm. AEW wants to sign this. So I think the Luchasaurus is essentially somebody that believes in who they are and is not going to, you know, it's going to take another layer to find all the layers underneath. What was that little tagline that you said before? Life finds a way. The, the Jurassic Park tagline. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I can use that in AEW. <laughs> you can use it here. It's fine. Well, there we go. Okay. Well, it's interesting that, like you said, the fact that you had to put on this mask to figure out who you were. Yeah. You know, and no that, pressure maybe or... Well, and that's the thing is like, I think ultimately the mask can represent a lot of things, but it allowed me to first feel comfortable and like, okay, I felt like something else. I felt like a monster. I could walk around and kind of be a character. Mm -hmm. So that was the first step. It just kind of let me not feel so self-conscious and trying to impress people. 
And I realized, oh, actually the look itself is kind of impressive. So I can kind of be, get away with that now. But then it was like, wait a minute, let me discover who I am underneath this. And I found that, you know, what the things that I'm passionate about can be displayed if I'm just kind of true to myself out there and just kind of feel what I'm doing. I started reacting in the ring more than thinking uh, or overthinking. And I just started to let it kind of come naturally. And that it started with the mask. And then I kind of, now they're starting to develop, you know, some backstory to Luchasaurus and I'm allowing all my own personal things that I've done over my life to kind of come out in the character, like my educational background things like that, that kind of are even more absurd to go with the dinosaur mask. But essentially putting on the mask has been kind of a freeing thing. It's mm -hmm. let me just feel freedom out there. And I think that's, and ultimately it's, to me, it's about constantly evolving as a person, as a performer in life, and then finding what you're passionate about and constantly like pushing that boundary and being, finding whatever it is and focusing on that and getting better and better at that and discovering more and more. Uh, it's art. It reminds me a lot of, 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 of Kane. Of, yeah. Of, of Glenn, because Glenn had done a bunch of different uh, characters and, uh, you know, different, you know, in different territories. But when he put that cane mask yes. on and one of the best all time sellers with a mask, like when you put the mm. mask on, you're losing some of your facials, mm -hmm. but he really got that across. Also reminds me a little bit of you. He's a big, tall guy, super smart, very educated. But when he put that mask on, it allowed him to be something else and really find out who he was as a, as a performer. This is actually the first guy I tape studied when I got the mask was Kane. Really? Yeah, I, I immediately went to Kane. I, my my vision was a kind of a new age Kane. Mm -hmm. That's why I wanted the hair out. And I wanted to make it just a face mask and kind of open up the mouth because uh, I did want to have some expression still. Mm -hmm. I, at first, the mask covered my entire face completely and I wanted to have my eyes more showing and also my mouth so I could do some kind of selling that way. Uh, but yeah, just watching the way he moves and acted with the mask and how it evolved over time as he got better and better at it too. I studied all of that. I studied him and X-Pac kind of working together for me and Jungle Boys kind of ideas that we've had. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he's definitely the guy that for me was the first thing I was looking at. And because yeah, selling with the mask is very difficult, especially when the, these, these kind of masks kind of are moving around a lot too. So it's hard to like whip your head back mm -hmm. and of that, things of that nature without feeling like you're going to lose the mask. But the way he did it was so good. And it was just the moment he put it on, it was just something special. It's like when you watch, um, it's kind of obscure, but I think you'll get what I see. You watch Halloween. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The way Michael Myers works, I'm not sure who the actor was, but just cocking his head like a dog. Yeah. And a little confused. And for a completely just expressionless face to have that, you have to use more subtle movements, not over the top, like waka waka, but just very little things but the little things is what makes a great character and a great performer. Yeah, and now that was actually some of the struggle at first with the characters. I was trying to do too much because I was trying, I, man, I have to sell. Uh, I got to show all this expression. I got to move around, go crazy. And some of the guys would talk to me and be like, hey, you know, if you just slowed that down and, you know, did this really slow turn here or there, a, a quick, like, subtle look, just like Kane does. It's mm -hmm. like the monsters in the movies do. It's going to have so much more carryover and impact. And I'd watch how Undertaker did it, too, because mm -hmm. Taker would do that. You'd kick him up and he'd have that stare or he'd look at the referee and the referee would go flying. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just those little subtle movements that have a lot of power behind them. And that's a lot of it's a lot of responsibility as a performer to understand how to not throw that away and how to utilize that. And over time, I've kind of realized, you know, because there's a lot of things I want to do in the ring athletically. But if I don't do it the right way, it kind of diminishes the entire point of being the Luchasaurus monster. Exactly. Especially in this day and age when there's not too many guys your size. Yes. You go back 10, 20 years ago, there was a number of guys your size, guys that were deceptively mm -hmm. big, like Billy Gunn, perfect example. Oh my God, you know, he yeah. works with us now. You would never think of Billy Gunn as a giant, but he's a giant. He's huge. And then mm -hmm. you had guys like 
uh, Midian and, and uh, Henry O. Godwin and oh my god, yeah. you would never think twice about these guys, but they're legit six foot seven, six foot eight. You don't have that anymore. So a guy like you stands out. And I always say, I used to say it to, to Rusev when he was in there mm -hmm. doing matches with Sin Cara, taking bumps. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Well, you know, you don't have to be an asshole, but you mm -hmm. do not need to be taking bumps off a dropkick from a guy who's, you know, 175 pounds when you're a legit, you know, 300 pounds, 280. So that's something that you have to think about too, especially in this day and age. Yeah, and you know, the actually the guy who most has helped me with that is, I'm going to say again, is Trent. And really? Yeah, we've been friends since developmental. I met him in 2012 when I was in FCW and he was kind of about to leave WWE at that point. We were like neighbors in Tampa. Mm. Uh, and we've been friends ever since and really close friends. And I'll, I, we actually tore our biceps at the same time like wow. a year ago. Yeah, so we were... We, you know, we'd be in the VR helmets sitting there with our torn <laughs> biceps playing chess. But he um, he was always, I had a match with him for bar, Joey Ryan's Bar Wrestling and he flew in to do the match with me because he wanted to help me. And that was the match that really turned me, turned the lights on for me with the character. And I was like, now I get it. And he, the way he paced it and set it up and the way he made me keep my size and not in an asshole way. He was able to do it in a way I still took his moves but we made him mean more. And I was like, okay, I get it now. And he was always telling me, hey, you should do this, but do it a little slower here. And when I finally pieced together what he was saying, it's kind of all started to click and now it's become more signature. It's when I do certain things, don't be like, oh, that's the Luchasaurus doing his thing rather than just me looking like every other guy doing something, mm -hmm. which again, defeats the whole point. Right, exactly. What were some of the things that he told you? Some of the main things is because I, like I, I like to do a lot of the martial arts kicks that I, I, I do. Um, I want to do a bunch of the flip stuff because I do all the gymnastics. And he really? told, yeah, um, you know, I've been doing gymnastics for over, actually that's how I met John Morrison was before I was even in sign with NXT. I, we would do gymnastics together <laughs> at a parkour center. Parkour, yeah. Yeah. So I had that background and I wanted to use, use it in the ring and I was always trying to figure out how to. And when you have all these ideas, you do too much usually at first. Sure, especially when you're starting. Yeah. So that's what I would do. And I'd want to do like, you know, four different versions of a nip up and an opening spot into a three kicks. And he's like, how about you just do the one kick and stand there. Mm -hmm. So I tried it once at a Ring of Honor show and it got such a better reaction. Mm -hmm. And then I tried like later on in the match, okay, here comes the big combo and it works so much better. And I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to see there's a whole nother way I can be approaching this. Right. And and now the crowd's like, oh, now I'm with this thing the whole way through. Now I get it. Now, oh, you're great. You're amazing. I'm like, I haven't really done anything different. I just kind of place things differently. And that's the secret of wrestling. It's yeah. not what you do, it's when you do it. Yeah. You know, and just because Brock Lesnar can do a shooting star press doesn't mean you should do one. Yeah. You know, um, I remember I was in Japan. It was a guy called Big Titan. He was the fake Razor Ramon, but for years he mm. was pretty popular in Japan. Basically your size guy. I brought him in there because he was a, Cal a Calgary guy. He worked in FMW for a while, and then I brought him to WAR. And uh, his first night in, he was with Tenru, who was the big star, legendary Tenru. Mm. And, you know, Japan, the two big guys, they're looking for big guys to be up against the big guy. And I remember they did this thing where they did, like, a double tackle. Both stood there. People popped. Something else, double tackle. And then chop, chop, chop. He shot him off the ropes, and then he jumped up and gave Tenru a flying elbow. And Tenru didn't bump, and Rick hit him, Titan hit him with the elbow and landed on his stomach and Tenra didn't bump and that was it. Done. Wow. Done. Don't leave your feet as a big man unless you have to. Done. Wow. He was finished and that was just like, that. I never forgot that lesson where especially when you're that size guy, you better pick your spots to leave your feet or else you're just another guy. Yeah. Right. And and I've had matches like that on the Indies with guys that wanted to bump me a lot and sometimes their matches, no one's really, I was like, okay, let's do it. And I, by the time I got to my stuff, I just could tell the crowd's not with it the way yeah. they should be. And yeah. it just doesn't feel right. Exactly. And that's what you learn with more experience. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm.
there are a couple of things here. You mentioned Jungle Boy. Yes. Because Jack did the podcast sitting exactly where you're sitting right now. Oh boy. And since uh, I, I've met him and met you, I see you guys are constantly together. He's always yeah, on yeah. your shoulders. <laughs> What's the relationship there? Well, the funny thing is, is me and him actually started training wrestling the same week mm. in 2009 or 10. Like, he was he, like nine or whatever. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, he was that age and I was like 22. Uh, but we can pretend we're the same age. Uh, exactly. uh, but it was so, we in Van Nuys, at Rick Drazen's School of Wrestling, like this local uh, little place. And uh-huh. we, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, and it we just, we kind of just kind of vibed right there. And like we would have like these matches in the backyard. And then we both went on our own separate kind of journeys. And then all of a sudden we meet, we're meeting back at the same time and our gimmicks just kind of worked together. <laughs> so we decided to start doing this. And we did a couple of these little stints at uh, Joey Ryan's Bar Wrestling where he comes out on my shoulders and just the looks on people's faces. It was like a Disney movie come to life. <laughs> People are just smiling and are generally happy. These are hardcore wrestling fans that want to throw things at me. And they're like, they can't help but smile. It's almost like the little kid came out in them just watching this. And I feel like we kind of really work well together in a lot of ways, not only because we can do things in the ring that are pretty dynamic, but I think my personality can come across any rough edges that I've had, he smooths out because he's such a natural baby face. And it's just like, how can you not get behind the kid in the forest uh, who doesn't understand society? And the funny thing too, is I did my master's degree on 12th century romance literature. And one of the main books was Parsifal, which is about the knight who was raised in the forest. And he has to go off into society and try to assimilate and he can't figure it out. And Jungle Boy is basically that character that I dedicated six years of my life to writing something on. Wow. And it just kind of, it's like, there's a lot of things that just come together for me with it. And I just love it. The historical buffs are in the crowd going, these are from two different time periods. <laughs> Worst gimmick ever. <laughs> Jungle boys were never alive at the same time dinosaurs were. <laughs> hey, I have the master's degree. I make the rules. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, Let's talk a little bit, and I want to talk about your master's degree yeah, yeah. and all this sort of stuff, but let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned NXT, mm-hmm. and yeah. it seems to me, and once again, we never, or you probably know the reasons why, or maybe you don't, but a guy like you walks in there, mm-hmm. knowing what I know about WWE and about Vince and about Hunter, kind of a no-brainer to see the size that you mm-hmm. have, the look, the tattoos, all that sort of stuff, you can talk, Um what was, how long were you there for, and then why did you end up leaving? Yeah, well, I was probably about 30 matches into independent wrestling, very new. Mm. And one of my matches was sent to WWE and they asked me to do a tryout at SummerSlam. And I think this is 2009. In LA? In LA, yeah. 2009 or 10. Mm. Oh God, I can't remember anything. I think it was 10. Well, yeah. they, they did it in 9 and 10. Okay, yeah. yeah. And there was a bunch of guys that, you know, like Scorpio Sky was there, guys that are really good in AEW mm. now. And for some reason, they they liked me. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't know why. So I wonder why. I yeah. guess it was the look. It was mainly, they told me it was the look. Really, William Regal was really high on me. Mm. So they said they wanted to offer me a contract and have me move to Tampa. And this was, in, it was a transitional period for them. It was before NXT was starting. It was still F- F- FCW. And it was just, there was a lot of moving parts. People were very job scared at that time. And like people were getting laid off. They were they were cutting half the roster to move to... Well, FCW at the time was basically a big warehouse. It was so a warehouse. Was like 150 guys training yeah. in there or whatever it was. Yeah, And there was a lot of leftover from previous management. And I wasn't one of the you know, the chosen ones. I wasn't one of the football guys that was brought in on a, like, this guy's, we're going to make sure he's a star. I was kind of like, he's not really an indie guy either, though. He just, we just like his look. And I kind of just got lost in the shuffle. I was not very comfortable. I hadn't decided that wrestling was my 100% focus in life. It kind of happened so fast. I had just finished my master's degree. Mm-hmm. And here I am, for the first time in my life, I've left my family. I'm in Florida. And we're you know waking up at 6 a.m. to do all these bumps. And I feel like 
every day I'm going to get fired if I don't perform right. And I just couldn't handle the, the pressure of all of that mm. on top of the fact that I was dealing with a major injury in my hip that I didn't know about that I was kind of working through. Um, which ended up being a hip labral tear. Oh my God. And that was killing me for, that was so hard to practice in the morning. And I was just, I was, I was a kid. I felt like, I felt like I, I didn't understand. The only thing I was doing well with was promo class. And it was with Dusty Rhodes. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about the whole thing is because he, he is the only person I felt that believed in me. And he took me under his wing and he said, I don't know what it is about you because you're the shits in the ring, <laughs> but there's something about you in this master's degree and the look, and I want to figure it out. And it's almost like what the character Lugasaurus is becoming for AEW is what Dusty envisioned, kind of, which is really cool for me, considering that Cody kind of reached out with the contract offer. Mm -hmm. So it's like coming full circle. But he was the only person that I that kind of believed in me. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the situation. I wasn't able to do the politics yet. And ultimately, I just wanted to, when, when they decided I needed surgery, I was like, hey, look, I just want to go back to LA and rehab this. And they were okay with that. They wanted me just to, you know, kind of take care of that, get healthy. And I, I really didn't have an interest in going to Orlando when they moved. They had, they didn't fire me. I felt like though, as soon as I came back from the injury, I was probably going to be one of the people released. It just wasn't working. I knew it wasn't working. And I remember having an, a, a discussion with Canyon Seaman, who was in charge saying, Hey, look, I kind of just want to go back to the Indies and be free and try my stuff again. Cause I'm not happy here. Mm -hmm. uh, the system wasn't for me. I'm not someone that works well with um, kind of a militant, you know, program mm -hmm. in place. I need to be free to express myself and train the way I need to train. Like I hated practicing and I love practicing now. I mean, I, I love training and practice. I'm obsessed with it and I wasn't happy doing it. So I knew something was wrong there, but I've never been someone that's good with taking authority on creativity. Mm -hmm. And when I did my master's, the, the professors were very open to let me do whatever I wanted. I couldn't go to high school. I was homeschooled because I couldn't handle a teacher telling me how to think. Interesting. Yeah. So it's always been how I, I just approach things. Uh, so that system just wasn't right for me. And I think that was, that was ultimately it. And, but as soon as I left, I regretted it. I, I had regrets every day for the next two, three years. I wasn't wrestling. And at that time it was like 2013, 14 Indies were about to take off, but they hadn't. And I, I thought it was done. I thought it was WWE or bust. Right. I didn't really realize there was life outside of that in wrestling. And I remember talking to Joey Ryan. He's like, it's so hard on the Indies, man. Like it's you, if you can stay in that contract, stay in it because it's not going to be what you think. And I was like, I don't care, man. I, I just need to, it's not, I'm never going to express myself. I'm never going to find who I am because they were so big on what's your message. Say it in a sentence who you are. Oh, really? That was always the thing we got in, you know, when we were, had little lectures and stuff. It's like, you need to know who you are in one sentence so that the audience can interpret it. And I'm like, man, I don't think I'm ever going to understand who I am in a sentence. And no, I don't think so what now. What would either. you say? Like, what, 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 what would some people say? Like, how could, I'm trying to think, how would I describe who I am yeah. as a wrestler? Well, a their examples were things like John Cena, hustle, loyalty, and respect. I'm like, that's not who he is. That's his t-shirt. That's a catchphrase. It's a catchphrase. Right. Yeah. It was just things like that. I'm like, no, I don't know what the hell's mm -hmm. going on anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I'm, I'm tattoos. <laughs> I, I don't know. Tattoo beard glasses. <laughs> Tattoo beard glasses, master's degree. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I find sometimes, um, and I never went through that system. Obviously, yeah. I went through a whole different way of of you know learning learning on the job, yeah. so to speak, and learning different styles. And and I think life lessons was a big one too, mm -hmm. because not that there's anything wrong with it, but no one was ever paying me to train and and you yeah. know, showing me all these different things. But I think that a lot of times in that system, it does kind of limit creativity yes. because you are told basically from step one, like let's say you came into NXT today as whatever. Football player, actor, mm -hmm. championship bowler, florist, whatever mm -hmm. you are. From day one, you're taught this is how we work. This yeah. is how you talk. This is what you do. This is the gimmick that you have or whatever it may be. Or come up with a gimmick. If we like it, we'll change it. You know, 
So it does kind of limit some of the the chances that you have to take and a lot of the uncertainty of whether you're going to get to the next level or not. Yeah. And the thing was, is I remember going to a PWG show after leaving developmental and I was like, they're doing, they're breaking every rule. Mm -hmm. This is all wrong. And then it started to hit me. Well, wait a minute. There is more than one way to interpret this. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I've gotten to the understanding myself in the ring was I had to get away from all the the rules that I was taught in developmental, not to say that they're wrong or anything. I think it's always great to learn a framework so that you can go outside the framework. Sure. If you don't have the framework to begin with, then you're not going to be able to kind of create and make sense of it. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for the time I got to spend with coaches like Joey Mercury and Norman Smiley uh, and Terry Taylor. They were very helpful in kind of shaping a framework that I've then been able to explore the boundaries of and sometimes completely break it because I have such a crazy character that can do that. And there's still always this, this struggle is always to make the most sense and tell the right story in the psychology. And there's there's always gonna be times where I can learn more and need to know more. And it's, you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. And I get advice from people all the time. And I love taking advice from anyone and everyone because who knows when someone's just gonna say the right thing that clicks for the right moment. Sure. And uh, so I've always been open to any idea. I just needed to go out and figure it out on my own. Kind of like exactly. what you're saying. Yeah. I need to learn on the job. I remember even when I first started working out, that's, it was you know right around the time when when... Arnold was very popular yeah. and Lee Haney and bodybuilding was kind mm-hmm. of the thing. And you would go to the to the grocery store and buy muscle and fitness and would have Arnold Schwarzenegger's blast out bicep blowout and you'd get it and it'd be like, you know, 30 exercises for bicep, way more than anybody should ever do. But it would give you, here's the template. Yeah. Take, and then they wouldn't say this, but then you would take the ones that you liked and then maybe change one and add this and change that. But at least you had a blueprint of where to start. Mm-hmm. But they didn't make you stick to it, obviously, because it's a magazine. But I think that's the same thing with what you're saying. Give me the blueprint and then let me mix, mix and match it up a bit to figure out what it is that I do best. Yeah, and I've had to have a lot of matches independently that I'm never going to see the light of day, thank God. <laughs> but where I got to try a bunch of things that I would have been too afraid to try right. in development, at least in that time where it was where a lot of people were job scared. And I, I've heard that it's better now and it's not that kind of situation mm-hmm. That at least how I felt it was, but I, I never would have ex, uh, tried to kind of push things in the ring the way I have with this character because I know that I can, like I, that I'm not going to turn around tomorrow and be reprimanded for it. Yeah, you can try stuff. That's what shows are for. Yeah. That's what house shows used to be for, trying a different catchphrase or trying a different move or whatever, a, a different uh, mindset you would get in more trouble for that. In, yeah, in yeah. Age, you know? And I've thrown away uh, so many things that at least I tried. I was like, okay, this looks horrible. Yeah, yeah. I watch it back and go, oh my God, why did I think that right. was good? But it, if I didn't get those opportunities, then I wouldn't have been able to get to the double or nothing and then show some of my better stuff that I knew would get a good reaction. So I would have been in a situation where maybe I want to try stuff if I was in a structured system where I felt like I had to act a certain way. How did you get the name Judas Devlin when you were there? I'm always curious to hear. Um, well, that's actually interesting. I got the name. Um, well, Devlin was what they gave me like a list of like 10 last. Like they said, just write down names that you think are cool. So like I, it was funny. It's like the first day the coaches named me Judas because like, we don't want to call you Jesus. The uh, uh, all the other guys with beards and long hair they're you know, everyone looks like Jesus. You're Judas. So I'm like, all right, that sounds kind of cool. So yeah. I was like, let me just get on the coaches side and put that down on my list as the first name I want. And so they love that. And then I just sent a bunch of like historical last names. They hated all of them. But like my friend Jay's last name I, that I worked with at a bar was Devlin. Mm. So I was like, let me throw that in. And they're like, oh, Judas Devlin. It sounds like Judas and the devil. Oh, this is good. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be a heel. <laughs> so that's how I got the name. 
it kind of was, I remember Bray Wyatt said, oh, I love this name, man. This is cool. Like, and he wanted me to get into his group when they first started it. Oh yeah. yeah. But they'd already kind of solidified what they wanted in there, but it was like kind of perfect for his kind of thing. And I was like, okay, this is something I can run with. And of course, you know, I wanted to do like the Sean O'Hare devil's advocate kind of character with it. Uh, that it like something where I was talking and I just, and this is what me and Dusty were working on. like something where I was intellectual with the master's degree, but sinister, um, and we, we couldn't pinpoint what it was. And I think it ultimately was going to have to be something ridiculous with the mask to kind of, mm. you know, to make it work. Uh, and I still, you know, I still like people call me Judas. A lot of my friends in wrestling still call me Judas and it's on my like Instagram and Twitter. I haven't gotten, mm-hmm. I haven't accepted just Luchasaurus as, as my <laughs> entire name. I like to think of it as a moniker still. Well, the thing is too, it could be a nickname. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I always would say like, can you imagine this? This name being Luchasaurus, the 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 AEW World Champion, and yes, you can imagine it. But mm-hmm. if it's not good, you could always be, you know, Austin Luchasaurus, yeah. you know, Schwartz or whatever the hell it is. There we go. There's the name. There's the name. Call Tony Khan. Were you uh, working for Ring of Honor for a while too? That was it. Uh, I was working with them, but not under any contract. I was doing. I I did a like. Future of Honor match for them in Vegas. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like on a whim. I just kind of showed up with uh, my friend PJ Black and uh, we were talking with Marty Scroll and they liked my look and they're like, hey, you want to do a match? I'm like, yeah, definitely. So I did a match. They liked it. And then I did a series of other matches for them and it got out that I was signed and I wasn't signed. I never I never was offered a contract. And they said they liked, they, they said they really liked my work. Uh, they liked the character, but they just didn't know what to do with it creatively. So they were like, well, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll call you here and there. I was like, okay. Uh, I thought I was going to be signed by them before AEW even kind of emerged. And then I remember I was ta- I was texting Trent about it and he was with the Bucks and they're like, he's not signed? Oh, let's bring him in a double or nothing. Mm. So once again, Trent coming to my rescue, helping me out here, uh, getting somewhere. But yeah, I enjoyed that. I really liked the Ring of Honor locker room, actually. I was friends with a lot of the guys. Uh, I enjoyed working for them. Um, it was just unfortunate, I guess, that they didn't really have an idea what to do with the character. And that was something I was running into. I thought, man, maybe I should just be Judas or something. And like Luchasaurus, is, it's too much. Mm-hmm. No one can figure out what to do with it. And that's where, you know, people like my friend John Morrison, he was like, no, I, I love that. You got to stick, just stick with it. So I'm like, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep pushing it. I'll keep doing the independent stuff. And then the, the, the Young Bucks liked it and they brought me in. You know, so. what's funny is that we were, when we were putting together the roster, and I say we, like mm-hmm. everyone was kind of, throwing ideas around. I had a couple ideas, some that they used. We were looking for some bigger guys. Yeah. And I actually had seen maybe on Hurricane's Instagram or something, mm. they'd done something. And at that point, kind of knew what the Luchasaurus was. Have you thought about Luchasaurus? Like, what about this guy? And then he said, Cody said, oh, he signed to Ring of Honor. I'm yeah. Like, oh, shit. Okay, well, forget about that guy. But now it's good that that you weren't signed. Obviously. Yeah. That was the thing. I was I, I wanted to tell the, I guess I was going to talk to Daniels or someone right away, but hey, they didn't sign me because Daniels thought I was going to, because kind of Daniels and Kazarian saw me when they were still with Ring of Honor. So they were putting in a good word for me. And then Cody as well. So they all thought, oh, he's, he's signed. He's, yeah, he's going to yeah. be with that crop that got signed. But um, I don't understand. I, I really still don't know what happened there because I thought that I was, I, maybe they didn't like my performance in one of the matches or something, but I thought I was going to be signed in January. And I guess things just kind of work out because AEW, I feel like, is a better fit for what I want the character to be, mm-hmm. considering they allow me to explore it on their show, like the, me and Jungle Boy yeah. do our thing. And that's something that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Nobody's going to write the character for you. You, you, yeah. you have to figure it out for yourself. And that's what I like. the way that yeah. it should be. Yes. And I think that's where it becomes authentic. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's when you're committed to it. Mm-hmm. What um, What was your thoughts on, on Double or Nothing? How was that experience for you? Oh, that was amazing. I, I never performed in front... 
of the crowd in a full arena like that. I'd done tryouts and stuff and worked extra talent for WWE. So I'd been there in the setting, but never in front of everyone. And I wish I could say I could enjoy it more, but things were so, that match, I had so much to remember. Oh, I yeah. was so focused just on the match. Like I came out, I didn't even realize, oh yeah, there's like, you know, 12, 15,000 people here. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, I got to remember this spot now. Because 20 minutes before the match, things got changed and I was asked to do a lot more. And we didn't even get it all in because time crunch, we had to cut a bunch of things. And me and my Adam Page had a whole series of moves we were going to do at the finish that I didn't get to do. So I was kind of disappointed when I went to the back and then everyone was like, oh, it was great. It was perfect. It's all you needed to do. And I've had nothing but positive responses on it. I'm like, wow, I didn't even do half the moves I was going to show people I could do. I was happy Jungle Boy and myself got to do our one little double team moment because I thought that was kind of cool because we've been showing it on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was fun for me. But the experience was definitely amazing. Vegas was amazing that entire week. I was there for like four or five days and everywhere was AEW shirts. It was yeah, crazy. It was crazy. The whole strip. Yeah. Couldn't go anywhere. And it's funny, not till after the match did everyone know who I was. <laughs> then everyone's coming up to me now. But you know what? And what you just said earlier is, is uh, such the case. You know, you, there's all these moves that you didn't do, yet people enjoyed the match. The match worked great. Once again, mm-hmm. the only person that doesn't know when you don't do something is you. The only person that mm-hmm. knows when you don't do something is you. And that's, it doesn't matter sometimes. You could have done those four or five extra moves, just get your shit in. Mm-hmm. And boy, aren't you a fancy pants? And, you know, the match doesn't work as well. Exactly. And that's, and that's what I'm starting to feel more and more with every performance is that it's really not about the moves. And it's especially once I've developed some of this like emotional connection with people, it's like Jungle Boy and I, after that, we did a little indie show uh, the following week and we really didn't do anything in that match. And it was probably the best reaction I've ever had from a crowd. Mm. And it's just because they were so invested now in us as a team, as a story. And it's just a different feeling. And I'm watching the match and guys are doing a ton of moves in our match. And there's just not really much connection to it. It's cool stuff. It's great Mm. stuff. But we get in there and we did our one little thing and you could just feel something. And those are things that I'm now learning. Uh, it's taking me into a different mentality completely. And I think that's the next level of performing. Well, you have to connect with the crowd. It's the yeah. most important thing. And like I said, we've talked about it quite a few times, not to beat the dead horse, but the Luchasaurus, you connect with it right away because it's very unique. Yeah. And then when you see the Luchasaurus, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to give this guy a chance. And if you're in a battle royal with 20 people and you've never heard of 15 of them, like for me, not that I haven't mm-hmm. heard of them, but I didn't know a lot of the guys and, and they're all new, but there's Luchasaurus. I know him. So that gives you an upper hand already. Yeah. Uh, along with the fact that you can deliver as well. And that's the thing. Like, I, I think I was talking to someone there, like, if you just, um, with what you look like and what you're doing, if you were just passable in the ring, it's going to yeah. be enough. But like, you're doing stuff that is sometimes high level, sometimes really good, you know, I, I think. <laughs> but, uh, which just makes it a wholly different level of like performance. And I, I'm really excited to explore that because, especially me and Jungle Boy have a lot of ideas um, that we want to explore. We're excited about it because there's things that we feel story-wise that we can do that really is very unique that probably has never been done in wrestling to a certain extent. So it's just like a, the, what AEW is, the platform they're giving us is like really tremendous right now. Is the idea for you guys to be a team? I haven't had too much creative discussions with them yet. Um, I'm, I've heard that it's pitched around and we, we really want to do it because mm. uh, we really both believe in the team um, together or at least something. We've been doing all the vignettes and they're, and they're getting over so well with the the fans. It's it's amazing. So what were the vignettes? Like what kind of stuff would you be doing? Um, Can Jungle Boy talk? Well, that's the thing. We haven't, we, we haven't let him talk yet. The, right now, it's kind of like the idea is like I'm this educational figure in his life that he brought me to society with him. 
because he found me in the jungle, I guess. Of course. And, um, but or as I, you said, in the forest. In the forest. <laughs> but for some reason, I have the master's degree and I'm speaking normally mm. and I'm kind of instructing him. I gave him a history lesson on one of the things where we talked about the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and uh, I, my contention, of course, because I have the master's degree, I'm always right, is that it was in 1993 that we really declared independence when Lex Luger body slammed Yokozuna on the USS okay. Intrepid. Right. Not 1776 or 78, if you want to be really technical. Yeah. But um, that was one of the things we did. The other one, we were in the grocery shopping and he couldn't get the top shelf and I put him on the shoulders. <laughs> and we're in gear in the grocery store doing yeah. this. So just like kind of funny things like that, kind of exploring the the humor aspect of things, but kind of in a smart way, kind of like how I feel like you did this stuff in like early WCW, Chris Jericho doing heel character mm. where you got to kind of explore some humor that was self-deprecating and intelligent. Yeah. And like, that's something I remember. And I've always wanted to do something like that. Cause I thought you were one of the first, you know, guys to kind of push into layered, that right? layer. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what I want the character to be is like, I want there to be a lot of layers to this. People are like, wait a minute. It's not just a talking dinosaur. Mm. There's a lot of interesting things about this guy and it can be funny. It can be self-deprecating. It can also be serious. Did you get signed after Double Nothing or before? Um, they announced it after, which was nice because it was like a good little like run of things going up for me yeah, there. Because sure. they were like, oh, he did so great. They're going to sign him now. Yes. What a story. But they had already offered me the contract. Um, I just hadn't finished. It was like right the weekend of. And like I want to make sure I looked over everything because, you mm. know, that's a smart thing to do with contracts. Absolutely. So I just signed it the day after. And then I was like, hey, can you guys announce it? And you're like, oh, we're going to. And they just announced it. And it was perfect timing. Because I just had the performance, everyone was talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it was like one good thing after another. I was like, okay, this is nice. Nice to have a little run of, you know, some good luck here. <laughs> yeah. And so what, are you excited and obviously excited about AEW and the prospects of it? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been really preparing for an opportunity like this for a while uh, with my training and uh, just the way I've been kind of approaching since... Uh, when I got, I signed with Lucha Underground for a season in 2000, it was like 2016. It was right after I did the Big Brother reality show. And um, when I got back to wrestling, I was like, okay, this is, this is it for me. I'm now, I'm hundred percent committed. I know what I want in life. I'm going to train, focus, tape study. I went, and it was just was 24 seven wrestling for the next couple of years. And it got me to the point where I was ready for a performance at Double or Nothing. And now I'm ready or preparing for TV in October. And it's great because I have this time period where I know where TV is going to start. And, you know, I'm not content with just being signed. I really want to push how good I can be and contribute and make an impact in wrestling. Have you talked to Tony Khan at all? I haven't had a discussion with him personally yet. Uh, I, I would love to. He's happy, obviously likes the Luchasaurus gimmick. I, I hope yeah. he is to keep that. I, I believe so. So far, it seems like everyone's really happy with it. And I think that's going to be... The focus, you know, but, you know, we'll see what develops storyline-wise because right. things always mold and change over time. What uh, you mentioned your master's degree. Yeah. Do you have your master's in? I have my master's in history. Mm -hmm. um, it's my emphasis in history was medieval studies, and I studied the Arthurian romances of the 12th century. So it was a lot of literary history and a lot of interpreting patterns of thought of a society. So I was not really focused on the political history or names, dates, and places. It was more interpreting how people in a culture thought and used entertainment, which was the stories of the time, to express themselves. And that's why I've always felt there's a major connection between that and the poets, what they were doing in court then, and what we do in the ring in wrestling now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of parallels because there's no truth. It's open-ended. It's interpretive. And it's really about kind of showcasing who you are as a person, the subjectivity inside of you, what you want an audience to see, to remember, and to feel. And I've felt always really strongly about wrestling since I was a child. I wanted to be a wrestler since I was seven. And then I found this literature in school and I was like, wow, I'm connecting to this as well. So the goal has always been to kind of combine it all for me and make that a performance, a piece of art. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, and, and you're talking about some of the, some of the history here. Yeah. So, what would you do with that degree if you weren't a, a wrestler? Would you become a history teacher, or would you? Like when you're saying you're, you're studying medieval history, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting stuff, but now you're saying it's even deeper than that with more of the philosophies of medieval history yeah. and not like torture devices or something like that. No. But what, what exactly would you do with that degree? Oh, you'd put it on a wall and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Uh, Go for the graveyard shift. My, yeah, pretty much. My professor always told me, Austin, get out of here. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I like it. Yeah. I've never been someone that is a long-term planner. I'm very short-sighted. Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about something. I like to live in the moment. And right. I was passionate about this. And I was like, I'm just going to run with this and see where it takes me in life. Kind of like the same thing I've done with rest is I'm going to run with it and see where it takes me. I'm not going to, I'm not planning long-term. I'm planning for now because I got to do things that I'm passionate about. Sure. And ultimately I was thinking, and still am, is that I really want to write historical fiction at some point. I love to write. Gotcha. And um, teaching is always an opportunity too. I could always be a, a college professor probably to be a major one at a university, I'd need to have proficiency in Latin and old French oh, wow. to continue on with a PhD in what I'm doing. And that's, I mean, that would be a whole nother thing of focus. And to get back into that mindset, I've lost so many brain cells. I feel like wrestling with the, yeah, right, the, yeah. that it's hard to remember. They always, always said to me, like when I went to, to college yeah. after high school, like, because he always, I always wanted to wrestle anyways, but I didn't know for sure if I could get into wrestling school and right. always be like, oh, take a year off. And it's like all my parents and teachers, it was like, don't take a year off. If you take a year off, mm -hmm. it's hard to go back mm -hmm. to school after that, you know? Oh, I st I'll still have school nightmares where it's like, um, it's the day of a big final and I never studied for the, or took the class, went to the <laughs> yeah. class once. And I'll wake up I'm like, why am I, st I already have the degree, stop. Yeah, that's right. But it was a lot of stress. And I actually knocked out my thesis in three months and they, you get like two or three years to do it. What was and, your thesis again? Uh, it was in the 12th century romance literature okay. and how it intersected with the uh, the society at the time and how there was a whole new level of um, ways of thinking happening in society. A lot of it had to do with the, the Christian church or the Catholic church and how the confessional came into play where they wanted people to kind of express their their emotions before that society was all about, oh, it, as long as you look the part and act the part, that's all we care about. But now, no, you need to actually feel emotions for Christ on the cross and things mm -hmm. like that. So they wanted the ways in which, um, one of the ways in which they got this through society was in the romance literature because now knights would fall in love with the lady and you'd have to show that you were truly in love with her. So all these acts, but what really was going on is the ladies were running the courts because all the guys were off in crusade mm -hmm. and they needed some way to collect money from knights. So these stories were fashionable. So knights would then give them patronage and they would give them money and pay all their taxes because they wanted to do what the courtly knight did. Hmm. So it was really interesting how these stories were affecting history and even how history was written by monks. They were writing histories to make sure that everyone looked cool, like a cool knight, and they would change things and facts. And that, then you realize it really is no facts. And it was all it was a bunch of made up stories and that history is a fabrication, hmm. uh, much like wrestling. You know, it's like it's all histories of fabrication, you believe? Uh, in, well, to some extent, it's a fabrication only because you have to write it like history. Nowadays you have, you know, cameras and stuff and oh it's gosh. a different, it's a different world. documented. Yeah. But even then it's still one perspective, right? You know, it's always from a perspective. You're never going to know how many ants were in the corner over there, mm -hmm. you know, eating something, not that that matters, but it all matters, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why the, one of my professors always told me, and I use this in life is that you can never get stuck in the trees. You always have to be able to see the forest through the trees in life and anything you're doing. And it's like the bigger picture is always going to be there. 
And yeah, you're going to focus on one aspect of it. And yeah, I'm going to write history trying to interpret patterns of thought, but I'm not going to tell you what really happened because I don't know. I'll never know for sure. But I can kind of get an understanding of why things moved the way they did and changed over time. And it's it's a real powerful thing when you realize that there might you might never find that truth you're looking for, but it's okay. Mm. And it's kind of helped me in life. It's like, I'm never going to find, maybe I'm never going to know exactly in the ring or in life who I am to a T, but that's okay because I'm constantly evolving and changing and things are going, interpretations of myself will change. And it's interesting too, like I've written four books and the first book, I wrote it in 2007. So the internet was starting, mm -hmm. it was a thing, but it was written about my career from 90 to 99. Mm. There's a lot of Mexico, Japan, mm -hmm. Germany, Canadian Indies. So I couldn't go online and Google it or look up the timeline. It's a lot. So it's all basically from my head. Now, is all of it completely true? Of course not. Right. Is it all of it the way I completely remember? I think so. You know, I think that's I think that's what happened. So yeah. my version of history, if it was the Bible, or not that I was, mm -hmm. it's not at that that length, but any other history book, so to speak, and that includes an autobiography because it's a history of my life, yeah. has some falsities in it just by proxy of the fact that you're writing it off of memory, right? That exactly. And that's what happens. And 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 that's the thing about history. And that's why history has changed so often and how it's written. Like when you study history, you actually study the way in which history is written, mm -hmm. not the actual, what, what facts are. The whole point of history is to understand why things happen, not what happened. Because mm -hmm. the why is there. The what is always going to be changing. So like, they've changed the way they look at colonial history. You know, they, They've talked about Christopher Columbus discovering America, obviously, at one point. Now you look at colonial history and you want to call it Atlantic history because Africa, the New World, and Europe were so intimately connected that you almost have to study the Atlantic Ocean to really understand how that time period worked in American history. Because we know now, too, that Christopher Columbus did basically not discover America. Yeah, I guess he was just in the West Indies. Right. Exactly. But Which was critical because the sugar plantations they ended up putting down there motivated so much business and so much economy that you know, half the reason we're here. Mm -hmm. So there's so many webs of connections that get lost when you focus on a political history from, you know, America's perspective or Britain's perspective and everything is, you end up seeing how much thing, that's why I like histories that were more about literature because mm -hmm. it gets too difficult with political boundaries and things like that. Uh, and it, it, there's this history is often written by the winners of wars. Of course. So like the WWE's history of WCW. And there you go. Exactly. They're writing exactly how, how it happened from their perspective and nobody else's. And that's a problem, yeah. you know, or it can be because now you're creating a whole um, idea in people's heads of what is important and what wasn't and what made this happen and that. And that's, and that's going to go back and change again as other voices get heard. So things will constantly be rewritten, but yeah, that's the problem when one uh, one authority it starts controlling knowledge. So it's like, it's not, not, knowledge is not power. It's those in power sometimes tell us what knowledge is. Did you remind me so much of Glenn Jacobs? It's hilarious. Oh boy. I would like <laughs> you guys to meet someday to have these type of conversations because yeah, yeah. he's right in there with you. You mentioned also Big Brother a couple times. Yes. Now this is the show, Big Brother, where you live in a house and it's the- Oh yeah, oh yes. The elimination show and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Is this, what, what, tell us the story of that. Oh boy! Well, I, I gotta get my call my therapist in on that one. Uh, that was a dramatic time. In was my it life. just a normal Big Brother? Like, yeah, it was America's Big Brother. Gotcha. Um, and it was crazy for me. I mean, I, they put me in there as they put a lot of people in there. And they, they study everything about you. You take, audition for this? Um, I did. I actually had I had an in with a, a producer, so I sent them like I just sent them like a, a blurb I wrote about myself. You know, master's degree wrestler, and they're like, 
we want to see more of this. So then I started doing interviews like we're doing mm. and they loved how I talked and what I had to say. Giant guy with tattoos with talking about romantic history from the They're like century. sold. Yeah. We're putting this guy in the house. Yeah. So I was like, I had no idea what I was really excited about for, how serious this gets. Well, what is it? Yeah, and it's, it's just, so they take you away uh, when it's time to go to the show and they literally put you in a hotel room that is a sequester. So there's no, you're not allowed to have internet, phone, TV, anything. It's like jury duty. It's jury yeah. duty. And you can't leave the room to even work out. So for seven days, you're in that hotel room before you go on the show. Why? Why? I don't why know. Don't They're so serious about or something. Or? They can't risk you running into another contestant or someone that's going to spill the beans. It's like, because gotcha. there's money involved. The winner gets $500,000. Okay. So they have to take it serious like a game show. Right. So they, they that process alone is enough to screw me up because I can't sit there. My thoughts are too crazy as it is. So I'm already freaking out. And then they put you in front of 25 different interviews before you get in the house. Now you're the most important person in the world. And then they put you in the house where there's 5,000 cameras on you at all times. People are watching you brush your teeth. Mm. Like their fans are at home watching you sleep 24-7. And then you're in there trying not to get eliminated each week by people you don't know if they're lying to you or not. And half the people are basically characters themselves because they pick people that are on the spectrum of crazy. And then I felt like I, I was on one of the more, they told me I was very self-aware. And they liked that because they only put a couple of those kind of people in there and see how the people that kind of are self-aware react and change as the days go by and wow. and I ended up in like a whole showmance with a girl on the show. And for real? For real. I, said, gotcha. I thought it was real. Yeah. Um, and it was for yeah. a second, but you know, you get out of there and it's like, you realize you're completely different people and it just totally kind of fell apart. It's like an onset romance. It's an onset romance that you feel like this is definitely real. I'm living with this person 24 seven. I must know everything about them. And then you realize, well, yeah, in that kind of society where there is no money, there is nothing else. The, Great point. No yeah. money, no commerce. No commerce. I get out of there and I'm like a, a, a failed wrestler <laughs> who has no money. And this girl wants to be a model in LA. And yeah. it's like nothing against her. Like I, it definitely was, we weren't going to vibe. And it just, and I put so much stock into that. And I was so focused on the show. I had forgotten everything else in my life. So when that ended and the show kind of fell apart and I realized, wow, I don't really have any fame. I was just somebody that was on a show that sat there, brushed his teeth every day. Like <laughs> how long were you in the house for? 89 days. 89 days. Yeah. Do you ever have like field trips or anything like that? Or there was a couple of times people got out for stuff, but they, there was like weights in the backyard that I got to work out. I was happy though. Okay. Like when I was in there, it was cool. They provided me food. I got to work out. I had a girlfriend. <laughs> like <laughs> it was, it, it was like a utopia, but it was what? also and interesting. There's, and there's cameras on me and I get to be the freaking wrestler I want to be. I'm cutting promos all day <laughs> long and knowing people are watching me and I'm playing a wow. kind of a villain. I'm calling myself Judas. I was living the character I wanted to do in WWE. And I get out of there. And I'm just the most hated person ever by the fans. Mm. They just hated me. And I didn't understand why. I thought I was funny and like, cool. It's the way they portrayed you. It was the way they portrayed me, but also the way I acted. And I, I wasn't being myself for sure. And I thought I was. And I was like, wow, I, I was literally living in front of cameras, putting on a front. And now I'm in a relationship that I don't really know the person. They don't know me. And like, I don't, I was just depressed afterwards. And then that all crumbled. And like, here I am. I remember I broke up with her and when I was driving home from Vegas after we broke up and like, I realized, wow, I have no job. Um, the, I have no, I'm not wrestling. I'm not, I'm, I have not, I'm at rock bottom. Like this is nothing. Like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I remember I drove straight to John Morrison's house and he just got a ring in his backyard and he's like, bro, we got to just get back to training, man. So me and him started training again. And, um, the next week, Joey Ryan's like, hey, I got this Lucha Underground trap for a couple of friends. You want to do it? I'm like, no, I'm not ready for that. He's like, come on, just do it. I'm like, all right. I've been wrestling two years. I show up and they're like, okay, we're going to sign you. And I was like, okay, this is it. Now it's just, the signs are all there. I see what I want in life. I've hit the rock bottom. I've been through, you know, 10 million people watching on CBS, me fail as a human being. I can't, can't get any worse. Right. I'm ready to be who I am. And so the, the experience actually ended up 
motivating me to really find myself. How do you get eliminated from Big Brother? Um, well, I got eliminated very interestingly, actually. But what it, every week you end up, there's one person who wins a competition where they're in charge of the house. And then they get to nominate two people that the rest of the house votes to evict one of them. So I was down to the final five and I, it was like an impromptu elimination. And I thought I was for sure okay. Cause everyone's like, don't worry, we're not getting rid of you. And then they just switched it on me last second. And my friend Vanessa eliminated me and I'm sitting there with no shoes. And I'm like, and I have to walk out of the house oh. and like, I'm just shocked. I had no idea. It was the worst. Uh, it, it made for great TV though. That's uh, why they cut you. That's why, of course, they loved what it. What kind of, of tasks or contests would you have to do to, to win the control? Oh, God, they were so annoying. I was so bad at them, too. There were a lot of puzzles. Like, where you had to put, I hate puzzles. I'm just terrible at yeah, puzzles. Yeah, yeah. My brain doesn't work that way. Any of the physical ones, I was better at. Um, some One of them was a sprint, like just a 40-yard sprint, but you had to wait till they hit the button at the right time and run, and I won that one. Uh, but then a bunch of them I would lose on purpose because you I was the big guy who was athletic. So if I keep winning, they're going to try to get me out earlier. Oh, I see. So there's a lot of strategy wow, in that game. a lot of strategy to it. Yeah. yeah, and then also you make all these relationships so people want to keep you safe. And I had like the girlfriend who had a twin in there. So us three together made a real strong like a team that no one wanted to get one person angry. So somehow we kept making it really far. And it was like, it was kind of cool. But it was just... Um, I can really see how that would warp your... Like yeah. almost Lord of the Flies or something 100%. like that. 100%. You know, there's there's a great Stephen King book called Under the Dome. Not the TV show, but the the, the book about, okay, first of all, this dome gets dropped on a, on a city. And you're like, well, how do we get out of this dome? And that's the first half. But the second half of the book is how they start their secret, the society, how you restart society yeah. in this world that you can't get out of. You can't leave this city, this town. And that's kind of like, I could see, like you said, how it just starts warping your perception and, and your reality and who you are. And people are obsessed with the show. They love this thing across mm. the country. When I got out of there, it I, I was in Vegas um, and the people would come up to us like we were the Beatles. Mm. Couldn't walk down the street. It's crazy because everyone from around the country is in, like those are locations where everyone is. Airports, I still get stopped. People watch that show religiously and they feel like they know you because they're watching you kind of live. They see you, yeah. And they see you in your most intimate day, moments, right? uh, breaking down, acting like a fool, mm -hmm. uh, like I did often. So it's just a matter of, it's really crazy to see people get obsessed with it. You get obsessed with it when you're in it. And it's like afterwards you have these, and there's a voice always too coming on the intercom telling you, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to say that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because I couldn't talk about things like I couldn't talk about WWE, anything that was, con you know, I couldn't talk about you if you didn't sign a release. Gotcha. So they would cut the feed and go, hey, you can't talk about that. So the voice of God. The voice is in movie? your head after. What's that Jim Carrey movie where he's like, was, 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 oh, is that the liar movie? No, uh, where he's under a camera at all times. Oh, the Truman Show. The Truman Show. There you go. Very it's, similar. It's, a, it's the Truman Show. Yeah, it's the Truman Show. And it's, it doesn't leave you afterwards for a mm. while and then when it does leave you there's a void because you're refining yourself versus it's the, like you got out of jail yeah. it's like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank he doesn't know what to do in That's the real it. world and, yeah. and no matter what you think when there's cameras on you you cannot be yourself fully oh dude I did Dance with the Stars there you go and you know I was on for seven weeks so same idea not mm -hmm. every step of the way mm -hmm. But like you said, I mean, they will use those bit sound bites to your detriment. Oh, man, you that know, happened the, to me so week, much. The week I got kicked off, I knew I was getting kicked off beforehand because a lot of different factors, how the show works. And, and by Thursday, I knew we're not making it past. And the one part of like all this rehearsal, I remember one part, I was like, I don't get this. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe one 10-second outburst out of 72 hours of rehearsal. Yeah. When they showed the video package before our dance, they must have replayed that freaking thing over and over again. I'm, I'm gone. They're planting seeds in the people's heads 
that Jericho doesn't know this dance, I'm done. Yeah. And like you said too, once I was finished, I went through huge withdrawal. I didn't know what to do with myself. There was no dancing class. There's no mm. every single moment of your day mapped out. I, I get it. Yeah. And that's too why, you know, like after the show, like a lot of these showmances kind of work for a minute because you want to stay close to the people that just went through this experience with you. Right. And you're trying to recreate it on the outside. But once you have that time pass, you kind of get back to, okay, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah, well, um, yeah who am I? Exactly. Who am I is always the big question. So right. ultimately the whole thing though was a really solid life lesson mm. for me. And it, I think it was the thing that finally made me grow up. Yeah. And kind of be like, okay, now I'm fully my fully aware of myself, my my flaws. I've seen it on, shown to me on TV. And I was ready to kind of like personal relationships and professional relationships. I was ready to kind of move to the next step in it my life. It helped you for wrestling too, because you said you, you know what it's like to be on camera. And, oh yeah. And, and you, like you mentioned, you're always performing whether you, you think you are or not. Yeah. It probably made a big difference for you. I think it made a big difference in the way I, I could, I'm able to conduct interviews because mm -hmm. uh, I had so many. Um, and also just, yeah, being in front of that audience, it, it's a huge audience that's on you at all times. And I've kind of got desensitized to that. I remember before Double or Nothing, like Jungle Boy and I were in the back and he was real nervous. And I, I wasn't I wasn't feeling nervous at all. I mean, I have the typical nerves that you have for any performance mm -hmm. uh, when you're going over what you're supposed to do. But it wasn't, to me, it didn't feel any different than the indie show I did the week before in front of 30 people because I just feel comfortable and I, I credit it to that. And I can tell, like, the difference, once again, talking to Jack, uh, Jungle Boy, Zach, same seat as you yeah. is, and he was great, but you can tell he hasn't done a lot of interviews. Yeah. With you, I can tell that you've done a lot of interviews yeah. and that you can just see right away. We're not on camera right now, but we are on the microphone, which is the same thing. When the red light goes on, mm -hmm. you have to be interesting and 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 fill up the dead air and just, and yeah. you know what I mean? You have to put on a show. Yeah, and before that, even I was teaching like Western Civ at college to a hundred freshmen. Jeez. So, I mean, I've done I've done a lot of things in front of people, uh, <laughs> which is funny because I was very introverted in high school and mm -hmm. I, I didn't go to high school, I was homeschooled. So it was right. like, I, I kind of found a voice for me was I've always been comfortable in front of a group, more than one-on-one -on -one with somebody, like trying to go on a date, for instance. Yeah. I've, I've been better in front of an entire group than it is like in more intimate situations. And I've had to learn to grow with that as well, um, you know, personally, which is good because I've, you know, I finally have a girlfriend that, you know, seems to love me and it's, <laughs> it's working out well finally. So, well, as we wind down here, um, now that you have got this contract yeah. with, with, with AEW, you, you're on your way. You're now a full time contract yep. wrestler again in, in a very big league. Mm. Uh, what are you thinking for the next few years? You obviously there's a big TV deal coming up. Yeah. Everybody's kind of on, uh, on the watch now. Everybody's under the microscope. Yeah, which I'm excited about because I've been waiting for that. And I feel like I'm pretty confident in what I'm capable of with this character and just in the ring in general. So I'm excited for the opportunity. I've just been waiting to have the eyes on me so that I can deliver what I've been waiting to deliver. I've been preparing for this and I'm expecting, you know, I'm hoping this goes great. I think it's going to be a successful venture. I'm excited about being a part of it. And I'm ready to kind of, take the next step in wrestling. I don't want to just have the, you know, the double or nothing um, battle royal. Battle royal. I want to have the main event Casino matches. Battle royal, yeah. I want to be in situations where they're like, hey, we need you to do this for 30 minutes. We're depending on you. Like, I feel like I'm in a position where I, I'm ready to take that burden of responsibility. Whether I'm going to be the best performer or not, I, I feel like I can do it and I would like to do it. And I'm not afraid of it. Mm -hmm. Who are you looking forward to working with? Uh, oh man, so many guys on the roster. Such a great roster. Yeah, uh, I would love to work with you. Mm. I mean, Kenny Omega obviously is someone that has really, he's one of the guys I started to really gravitate towards when I was, you know, starting the indie, indie run as Luchasaurus. I was watching what he was doing in Japan and he's been a huge 
uh, motivation for me, seeing how he structures things, how he performs, all the little nuances. So someone like him would be a dream to work with. Um, just being in the ring with guys like Adam Page, it was like, wow, this guy, like I never worked with him and it was so cool because mm -hmm. we just vibed right away and he was so good in there. Uh, obviously working with Jungle Boy, us wrestling the Young Bucks would be a dream. Uh, so there's just, there's so many dream scenarios. I still want to have a singles match with Trent on this kind of stage as well. Yeah, that's yeah. been something we've talked about for a long time. It's cool. Cause there's a lot of guys that, that you guys know each other. Yeah. You know, and that's always nice when you're in there with your friends. That's the thing. I've wa walked into that locker room and, um, it was such a warm, inviting family atmosphere. And, you know, I had my girlfriend backstage and she was doing my makeup for me for the thing. And like, that's something in WWE I would have been where, oh man, I'm gonna get heat for this. So, yeah. But I had asked ahead, but I'd still probably get heat. But everyone was so welcoming and she was just like a part of the family. Mm -hmm. Then I was talking with the Young Bucks and their wives and they were fans of me on Big Brother. I was like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So it just felt so good. And it was such a different vibe from what I had experienced previously in those big situations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was a refreshing feeling. And I was like, this is how it should be because I just wanna go out there and have a great performance and entertain the crowd. Mm -hmm. And there's no weird pressures. There's no worried about, okay, am I going to do the right thing for this agent, this producer? Or like, what did he mean when he said this? To, like, there's none of that weird double speak that you Much often get. creativity and, and not, not worrying about getting heat. Not worrying about getting heat. Like, hey, do what you do your thing. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it was great. So like, that's, that's the kind of environment that I, I, I've dreamt about and I feel like I could excel in. Last question for you. What's yeah. your favorite match that you ever had? Oh, my favorite match that I've ever had. Yeah. Oh, geez, damn, that's a good one. Is the one that jumps into mind? Yeah. Um, I'd have to say wrestling John Johnny Mundo on Lucha Underground. Oh. That was, I finally, I was preparing for that match for so long, they finally gave it to me on season four. And you called the Luchasaurus then? It was Vibora, Vibora but the crowds okay. chant Luchasaurus. Gotcha. I was, it was basically the Luchasaurus versus they don't, own, they don't own the trademark. Yeah. Yet, so, yeah, and me and him were so excited to do that match because at that time I was living with him and Taya. Like mm -hmm. we all lived together. And like we were preparing ideas for that for a while. We didn't know if it was going to happen. They gave it to us and- that was my first chance to really show everyone that like, hey, I can hang. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because the next night I tore my bicep on a run-in. Oh, wow. And I felt like it all crashed down right after that. Uh. I was like, all this time, I finally got the approval. The whole locker room gave me like kind of a standing O afterwards. I was like, oh, I finally belong. And then I tear the bicep the next day. But it all kind of ended up working out because after the bicep tear, that's when I started developing my kind of my kicking abilities. I couldn't do anything else but kick. Mm. And now that's kind of my signature. So, right. so it's actually serendipity. It's all kind of evened out. But that probably is the match that stands out the most to me just because we finally had that match. And he's been my best friend and supporter since before I was in WWE. Mm. So, and he visited me when I was injured in Tampa. Like he's always been someone that's been by my side. So it was really cool to have that one. Many more big matches to come, Hopefully. man. The Luchasaurus. And also, I'm, I'm looking forward to your uh, romantic history novel. Your first <laughs> medieval romantic history novel. Oh, it's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be featuring a dinosaur for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. Hey, thank you. All right, AEW's TV show Dynamite premieres this Wednesday night, October 2nd on TNT at 8 p.m. The show is a stack card. Me uh, uh, and two mystery partners versus Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Cody's going to start off the show versus Sammy Guevara. Plus, Brandy's going to be there. The AEW Women's Championship will be decided. Nyla Rose versus Riho. Uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, I'm sure, will be there as well with Marco Stunt. Tune in and find out all what's going on on TNT this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. This is the only wrestling show you need to watch this week, trust me. And also, the only cruise you need to go on is Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. We're all sold out, but you can still sign up for the mailing list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come join me, all of the stars of AEW, all the aforementioned performers I mentioned. Uh, Ric Flair, NWO, Jake Roberts, Queen Charmel, Booker T, MVP, Fluffy, who was just on earlier this week, so funny. He's the host, Gabriel Iglesias. 
Craig Gass, the Guerrero family, Jack Slade, Conrad Thompson, Fozzie's going to be playing Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, Kick Axe, Light the Torch, Dave Spivak Project, Jared James Nichols, DDP doing live yoga on the ship, Beyond the Darkness telling ghost stories by, uh, not a lit fire, but campfire ghost stories. We're sold out. Get on the waiting list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. There's still a chance for you to have the vacation of a lifetime. And there's still a chance to come see Fozzie. We've got two dates left on the Leashed in the West tour. We're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi tonight and our last show tomorrow night in Atlanta at the Masquerade. Both VIPs are sold out. Atlanta, still some tickets available. And Hattiesburg, still some tickets available for the actual gig. Go to fozzyrock.com for that. Uh, it's going to be such a great wind-up of this amazing tour. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. We're next Wednesday. Guess what? It's our 600th episode. Can you believe that? 600th episode, and it's the return of Kevin Smith. We're doing a watch-along for Pulp Fiction. That's right, the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest movies of all time. Kevin and I do the watch launch, just like we did for Bad News Bears a few months ago. I thought that's a great uh, 600th episode. Pulp Fiction, Kevin Smith, Chris Jericho, Talk is Jericho, episode 600, coming up this Wednesday. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy! We'll see you next week. <laughs>